Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This week's episode of Book Cheat is brought to you by Audible. Right now, for a limited time, you can get three months of Audible for just $6.95 a month. That's more than half off the regular price. And all you've got to do is go to audible.com slash bookcheat or text bookcheat to 500-500. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hello and welcome to Book Cheat, the book club podcast where I've read the book so you don't have to. My name is Dave Warnicke and on each episode of this show we look at one of the classics and I tell two very funny people all about it so both you and they can pretend you've read it. Joining me today are the hilarious sketch writers from the Two in the Think Tank podcast. It's Andy Matthews and Mr. Alistair trombley Birchall. Oh. Hello, David. Hello. David, thank you. Hello. And I, it's good to be here on your podcast. Andy, I'm not sure if you noticed that I decided Alistair's name wasn't long enough, so I gave him a mister as well at the start <laughs> of his name. I like that about you. It needs to be bulked out. Yeah. It's like a, I don't know, a noodle soup. Or like a novel that doesn't have... 15 pages of describing the cedars. Yes. Uh, snow falling on cedars reference. Already you can tell Alistair is a literary giant. Right. You, must be, you must be shitting yourself, David. Yes. Thanks for coming here. I'm very, very scared. <laughs> no, well, I often start the podcast, I say often, I mean always, by asking the, uh, the guests what they like as readers. Often is still always. Always is still often. Like if you do something every single day, you do it often. That's true. So, mm. David, don't correct yourself. Thank you for giving me the doubt and belief at the same time. Yeah. Correct. I want to correct you in your correcting of yourself <laughs> to make you believe in yourself. Now, would you say you are an often reader? Uh, at the moment, I'm just getting back into reading. I was a real big reader in like high school up until I went to university and then started drinking beer and reading the internet instead. Mm. And uh, we've got a cool guy here. Just, yeah. Oh yeah, you can tell. <laughs> uh, and and uh, since then, my actual reading has dropped off a fair old whack. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to get back back into that world. Well, hopefully, we'll entice you back. Mm. How about you, Alistair? Dave, thank you very much for asking this question. Um, I have been reading the same book for the last about seven years. Oh, wow, what is it, War and Peace uh, or something very No, long? but it's my favorite book. <laughs> oh. And it's uh, it's White Noise by Don Delilo. And I every time I pick it up, I love it. I have such a good time, I put it down and don't read it for another six months. <laughs> and do you pick it up and finish it and then start again? or? Uh, the only time I, I made, yeah, I would love to pick it up and finish it. Last time I did made some progress was maybe about... A year and a half, two years ago, when I <laughs> went, I went interstate for a little bit, and I had a few days to myself. 
And then since then, I haven't made any progress. But I love it. My favorite book. You got a bookmark there ready to pick up where you left off? Oh, you bet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> always Al go is, back. Always Al go is back. always telling me how good this book is, by the way. I, if, you, if, you think, if you think he's joking about it being his favorite book, you're not. He loves it. He just doesn't read it ever. Mm-hmm. Hasn't finished it. It's taken him seven <laughs> so years. It's a vaguely gripping read. Oh, it's, gri- it's full gripping. It's full gripping. Yeah, you're able to put it down oh. months, month after month. I know, but if I... Yeah, it's but it's it's so gripping you you don't want to pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you can never put it down. Yeah, exactly. But also, like it grips your mind in a way that like it's always with him because mm-hmm. he's always talking about it and how it's his favorite book. You don't have to be reading a book to be gripped by it. This is true. Mm. Yeah, some yeah. books grip you long after your eye has left the page. It's not physical grip. It's mm. not like it's not like little. It doesn't have little hands. Little or little rubber studs on the thing. It's not like Are a. Are you picturing rubber studs or little hands? Like a non, yes, I'm there. Like a non-slip no. mat that you would have in a no. bathtub. It's not like a four-wheel drive tire. Oh, well, no. I need it's a to metaphor. need to evaluate my definition of a gripping read. <laughs> I'm glad that you've been corrected about three times in this podcast. <laughs> yes. Well, there's going to be a few doing more of great. those, I think. Uh, how about a uh, Russian literature? Mm. Ooh, Solzhenitsyn? Mm. Dostoevsky? Uh, Tolstoy? None of those greats, but a great, nonetheless, shall we discuss today. Uh, I've, I have told you off air, so I can uh, announce to not much surprise that today we are talking about the Anton Chekhov play, The Seagull. Oh, Antoine Chekhov? Mm. Anton. Oh. The so, Russian version of Antoine. Yeah, that's right. They guess, Russianized it. <laughs> I guess he is a uh, one of those big Russian names in literature who you would have to mark off your list. I, I don't get that. Is his name Markov? No, it's Chekhov. Oh, oh Chekhov. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I get it now. Um, all right, so I'm going to give you some historical context. You, neither of you have read this play or seen any adaptations live? or The Seagull? Yes. No, never. I don't know anything about it. Oh, no, wait, I wrote a PhD on... <laughs> is this Antov, che- che- Antov Chekhov's the, the Seagull? Yeah, wrote, wrote a PhD on that. No, not Antov Chekhov. This is oh. Anton Chekhov. Okay, sorry. Often totally confused. Yeah, they both no wrote one, about seagulls. No wonder they wouldn't accept my... <laughs> my thesis. Look, I mean, the title page is spelt wrong... <laughs> You spent five years on this. You had $40,000 of the university's money. <laughs> We're not even going to read it because you can't spell the author's name correctly. All right, That so seems really silly. It turned out it was just a noodle that had fallen onto the front page, but they still wouldn't accept it. They wouldn't remove the noodle. Mm. Uh, the Seagull was written by Russian modernist playwright, short story writer, and physician, famous doctor in his life. Mm. Really? Throughout his whole life. Which wasn't that long. Uh, Anton Chekhov, and he wrote it in 1895. Right. Where was he in his doctoring career in, in terms of this? Uh, still doctoring. He was still doctoring. Yes, yes. So he was mid-30s at the time he wrote this. Right. So he could have been a registrar, maybe, or a, or a sort of a, a, a GP. Yeah, he, he definitely was a GP. No, he wasn't some kind of superintendent. No, no. Had he moved into the admin side of things? Was he? <laughs> you know what I need to be admin. That's, that's where my. What's it like? What's the doctor version of a green green thumb? Like a red thumb? <laughs> oh, you don't you're want a red thumb. You certainly don't want a brown thumb. I'm, I'm really good with healing. 
the seagull is generally pointed to as the first of his four major plays and possibly his most famous. Is he is, is he Cherry Orchard? Cherry Orchard. Is he Uncle Vanya? Uncle Vanya, yes. Is he the something about sisters? The three sisters. The three sisters. Are they the are they the ones? Yes. Yes. And the other one is Ivanov. But yeah, the the four big ones are the seagull, Uncle Vanya, three sisters, and the cherry orchard. But the seagull is probably his most famous. It was mm. first staged in 1896, the year after it was staged, and it was an absolute disaster. Wait. It was first staged the year after it was staged. No wonder it was a disaster, David. <laughs> it took that long to train the cast. This is crazy. No, it was first staged a year after it was written, I should have said, and it was an absolute disaster, so bad that uh, he went backstage because he couldn't even watch his own play anymore. Wow. wow. People said later said that they liked it, but he thought they were just flattering him. That is a, like a notorious problem with uh, with theatre productions. And were they like, because were they saying things like, Wow, they did really well to remember all those words. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> I really liked some of the costumes. I loved the ending, mm. mainly the walk to the car. Yes, mm. very compelling. It's all about seeing where the compliment isn't. Yes. Mm. Backhanded non-compliment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, if you think about, it's probably positive. But I don't want to do the math. No. I just want a front-handed regular compliment. <laughs> Is that too much to ask? Yeah. Everything's uh, so complicated these days. So it was a disaster in 1896. He was really embarrassed about it and thought, well, I guess that's that's it. But then legendary director and acting teacher Konstantin Stanislavski. Ah, oh, big name, the Method, method Man. Guy. Yes, famous for the Method. He staged the play in 1898 with the famous Moscow Arts Theatre and it was a huge hit and one of the greatest events in the history of Russian theatre. Very influential. I'm not wow. sure if you have this information, David, but did any of the reviews that came out go with the headline, an absolute must-see goal? They all did. Wow. <laughs> that pun also works in Russian. <laughs> Amazing. Some puns don't translate that one. Little it's, too a, well. it's a one-to-one translation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Direct <laughs> mapping. Yeah. In fact, all those words in English are the same in, in Russian. It's, it's a crazy coincidence. Yeah, and they're the only same words that are the same in both mm, languages. Mm-hmm. Not even banana is the same. <laughs> Not even banana. No. Is banana one of those words that's like the same I in think I a meant to say language? pineapple. Is pineapple one no, of those in every words? other language it's ananas, except in uh, Spanish where it's piña. <laughs> Fuck, this wow. is good information. <laughs> anyway. This is incredible information, David. Um, I'm sure it... In Russian, should we Google Translate it? Let's do it. Google Translate pineapple into Russian. Translate it into Russian letters, though. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we'll read it out. Um, this is going to be great if people are listening to this podcast as like a way to bone up before an exam. On a Russian exam. Guess what? Uh, yep. It's ananas. <coughs> in Russian. Ananas. That's wild. Ananas. Mm. Ananas. Ananas. Sounds like someone's mispronouncing adidas. Ananas. <laughs> It's another interesting fact that it sounds like somebody's <laughs> mispronouncing Adidas. Lots of facts on this show. Um, so a big note here, if you are reading along at home, which mm-hmm. I do encourage you to re- read read as well as listen. <laughs> <laughs> reading along. So <laughs> yeah, the transcript is available on my website. You may Check now turn the page. <laughs> Ding. Uh, different characters' names uh, change slightly depending on the translation. Oh, no. Mm. It's pretty. But not the name of the character. Pineapple. Pineapple, no. <laughs> Ananas is the same in every language, except 
Spanish, where he is Dr. Pena. Yes. Um, I want a second opinion. <laughs> Doctor. <laughs> Now, I'm not going to go through every... I don't know what that was, <laughs> uh, but I love it. I'm not going to go through every character either. There's there's uh, at least 12 of them I'm counting here because uh, there's lots. And otherwise, it will become confusing with at these Russian 12. names. At least 12. Yeah, yeah. Possibly 13. Okay. I'm counting at, from a distance. Okay. Distance. Plus counting equals problems. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I will mention the main ones that are essential to the plot. Okay. So are you ready? Yes. Uh, it is titled The Seagull, a comedy in four acts. <clears throat> see if you can see the comedy. <laughs> It's a little challenge <laughs> okay. for both of you. 1896. The Seagull is set on an estate owned by a 60-year-old man named Soren. Great. His sister is a famous actress Great. named Irina Arkadin. Okay. Basically, Irina is how I refer to her throughout the play. She is visiting the estate, Soren's estate, her brother, with a new boyfriend who is a famous writer by the name of Trigorin. Soren and Trigorin. <laughs> and Irina. And Irina. Now, so far. I, I can tell that when Stanislavski... Uh, stages. I can tell already why you picked this up, right? Stanislavski, big fan of uh, the Stanislavski method of acting where people use experiences from their real life to draw into acting. This is true. Right? And now I imagine that for him, he was then constantly on the lookout for plays in which there were parts in which people played a famous actor because then you can just cast a famous actor and say, draw from your life as a famous actor to play this famous actor The, it, the bloody thing directs its, it, it directs itself. Absolutely. But is this guy a famous writer? No. It, yeah, Chekhov played himself. No, uh, I, Irina was a famous, a famous actor. Don't worry about oh. it, Alistair. But but wait, the other. And then guy. the next guy was a writer. Okay. Yeah, right. Trigorin. So basically, the two ma more main characters here: Irina, the actress, and her boyfriend Trigorin, who's a famous writer. Right. I bit reckon... of a bit of a Russian power couple. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Mm. Uh, the play opens as a play within a play. Hmm? <gasps> okay. Shakespeare. Good at that. Yes, there are frequent refer references to Hamlet, which also has a play within a play throughout the play. Mm, play within a play within a play within a play. Mm. Mm, play on plays. Play, play. And uh, so they're getting ready for this play to take place in front of the estate's lake under moonlight. Right. So it would be very poorly lit. <laughs> yes, very poorly lit indeed. It's going to be dim um, and... I guess uh, I, I guess that'll save them a lot on like sort of costumes and that sort of thing. Yeah, because people can't see anything. They don't know what's going on. Yeah, and uh, the proximity of the lake, is that going to be an issue? I'm already sensing that it may well be. A bit of a disaster. Indeed. He's not thinking good things. Is, In fact, is Chekhov the one is, with the gun? Chekhov's gun? Chekhov's gun. It, that is a, a famous theory from Anton Chekhov. Basically when he was talking about, because he's also a famous short story writer. Yes. That's his other big thing. Mm-hmm. Mm these four plays and lots of short stories and um the story goes that he once said that uh, everything that's mentioned in the story should be essential to the story if it's mm. if you're not going to use it move it or lose it you know what i'm saying bloody come on talk. so he said if you mention a, a gun in the first act yes it better go off in the fourth act mm -hmm. right. otherwise why the hell is it there so if you mention a lake somebody's got to drown in it yes yes exactly they're all murder weapons yeah <laughs> This is a murder mystery. If you mention a seagull, somebody's <laughs> going to get one rammed down their throat. <laughs> well, so the, the under moonlight, a schoolmaster named Simon Medvedenko. 
is complaining to a girl called Masha that she doesn't love him. Masha. Masha. <laughs> Masha is a great She's name. already my favourite character. Do you, Masha? Masha the slasher, they called her. Because of that time she took a piss in an alleyway <laughs> at schoolies. Is this right? Well, no, she's Masha the no-pasha. Because she doesn't love Simon Medevenko, the school's master. He complains it's because he doesn't have enough money. She does not feel sorry for him at all and basically tells him, tough luck, pal. She has a secret crush on the writer of the play that is about to take place because there are many, many love triangles within the seagull. Wow. A lot of unrequited love. I love you, Al, but you love Andy, who loves Masha the Slusher. <laughs> What a girl. Masha, no She's passion. a bit of fun. So Masha's in love with the writer of the play, who is the famous actress Irina, who I mentioned at the start. Her son, <coughs> named Constantine. Okay. Stanislavski cast himself in this role. Really? No. Um, but <laughs> the method. Would have made sense. Would have made sense. I'm getting it now. Now, but then also, therefore, the son of the other guy who was mentioned at the start. No, so that is uh, his. So Trigorin? Yes. Is Irina's boyfriend, so a bit of a stepfather to Constantine. Ah, sure, 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 sure. So yeah, where's, sure. Her, where's his father then? Uh, not mentioned. Don't think it went well. Okay. It is implied that you know she has a bit of a, a go-getting lifestyle, tr- changes boyfriends quite a bit. Mm. More often than she changes hats. Yeah. Well, that She's would be silly. That would be too hats. many times. Mm. Lots of hats. Uh, Constantine is a bit of an art student. Deriding all old art as if it's worthless and that his new style of theatre is way more artistic and meaningful. Really, it's a lot of wank. Just between you and me. Oh, no. Wow. Okay, so this is interesting. So it was Chekhov uh, having a bit of a go there. Surely, but he was a modernist. So he would have been a new style of uh, of theatre. So he's, he's sort of doing a little bit of a jab at his own crowd, his sort of in crowd. Yes, but at the same time, this is way more modern than Chekhov's writing. Constantine stuff. It's very symbolic. A lot of a uh, lot of uh, interpretive dance going on. You know. Wow. So they even even at that time they had that kind of theatre, like that that kind of thing existed. I always imagined that that's a you know sort of wanky super modern theatre is a thing that we've only come up with since maybe the seventies or something. But no, you're saying no, that no. This I'm... was an innovation going way back. Yes, and I'll read read a few quotes from this uh, very very modern play that Constantine's trying to stage in the moonlight, the star of his new play is not his mother, the famous actress Irina, but a younger girl who lives on the neighbouring estate. Constantine is deeply in love with her. Her name is Nina. Mm. Very confusing, Mm. Irina and Nina. Mm -hmm. Nina the girlfriend. Is she an actress as well? Yes, aspiring Irina the mother. Actress. So Nina must secretly slip away from her father to perform in the play. He does not approve of her aspiration to perform in the arts. He's a wealthy man. Is his name Igor? It's not mentioned, but let's call him Igor. I like that. <laughs> right. You know, kind of rush, uh, you know, a r- rough kind of Russian-sounding man. Yeah. Mm. Mm, he's a salt-of-the-earth type. Yeah. You know, and this is the kind of thing Chekhov does where he, you know, he doesn't mention characters and you really let them... F- you fill them in in your own mind. Mm. What names did you, at, at the end, I believe, <laughs> he, he would come out and he would do a sort of Q&A and he would say to the audience, what names did you come up with for the characters who aren't in the play? <laughs> you, sir. <laughs> what names did you come up with? 99% of the time it was Igor. It was Igor. <laughs> There's only so many Russian pet. names. Yeah. There's only like four. Ivan, Igor, <laughs> Vlad. And then everyone else is Constantine. 
Hey guys, Dave here interrupting myself to tell you that this week's episode of Book Cheat is brought to you by the good people at Audible. It's the time of year when everyone is thinking about giving thoughtful gifts. So think about giving yourself the gift of an Audible membership. Now is the best time to do it with a special offer. Now if you're unfamiliar with Audible, what you can do with Audible is access an unbeatable selection of audiobooks including bestsellers, motivation, mysteries, thrillers, memoirs and more. And you can choose three titles every month, one audiobook and two Audible originals that you can't hear anywhere else. Now, I love Audible. I am a member of their subscription. I've got a membership. And one thing I love listening to is plays on Audible. So if you're a fan of what you're hearing right now, The Seagull, you can find The Seagull and many other plays on Audible. And uh, it just sort of brings the text to life. You can uh, check out The Seagull starring Callista Flockhart amongst many other titles on there. So that would be my hot tip if you are looking for uh, an audiobook to try out. Now, onto the important part. Right now, for a limited time, you can get three months of Audible for just $6.95 a month. That's more than half off the regular price. Give yourself the gift of listening or someone else while you're at it this year. And all you got to do is go to audible.com slash bookcheat or text bookcheat to 500-500. So you get the gift of a half-price membership for the first three months of your membership. You'll love it. You'll also be telling Audible that they should keep supporting this program. So everyone's a winner, as I always say. So go to audible.com slash bookcheat or text bookcheat to 500-500 to get started today. Thanks, Audible. Now on with bookcheat. So the play they're staging is deeply symbolic and uses a lot of metaphor. Because of course it does. Oh. Constantine finds it hard living in his famous actress's or his famous actress mother's shadow and is attempting to show everyone that he can create great and meaningful art too. Is that why the stay the show is taking place at night so that there are no shadows? Yes, he is very <laughs> though the moon is full. Moon shadow. Moon shadow. Moon shadow. I've been thinking of a I'm being followed by a moon shadow. Yes. Moon shadow, moon shadow. Repeat. That means that he's walking towards the moon. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Little known fact. <laughs> Constantine refer- actually refers to himself as that weird kid that his, that his mother introduces to her famous friends at parties. So he, right. he's, uh, he feels a bit strange. Yes. Uh, Constantine remarks to his uncle Soren, the owner of the estate, that his mother Irina is jealous of his play and that she hates it before even seeing it just because for once she won't be the centre of attention. Is he do? Does he do a lot of this family kind of stuff? Was that a big thing? For, I guess he's got the one with the sisters. He's got the one with the uncle. Yes. Get it? I've answered my own question. The cherry orchard is set on on a cherry orchard with a family debating if they should sell the cherry orchard. Mm. A lot of family. They, they they talk about if they want to sell some of the cherries. <laughs> <laughs> Did they not really understand how the retail market for yeah. fruits and vegetables really really works? We have a tree full of cherries. What do we do? Do we take the tree? It's stuck to the ground. How do we get these? <laughs> how do we offload these cherries? We've got a thousand kilos of them. But they're all on the trees. Come and take it off our hands. Oh, a lot of that's wood weight. <laughs> <laughs> we sell we sell it by the orchard. Yeah, we've only got four cherries. There's an honesty box out the front. <laughs> so he's he's thinking his mother's going to ride off the plate before she even sees it out of jealousy, and he's not bloody wrong. The star of the play, Nina, arrives from the neighbouring estate and delivers the line that gives the play its title. She Mm. says, I am drawn to this place, to this lake, as if I were a seagull. Mm. Expecting fish and chips. 
Yeah. It's more of a lake gull, really. Yeah, yeah. An inland seagull. And I believe technically they're referred to as a silver gull here in <laughs> Australia. Is it? I'm drawn to this lake like a silver gull. <laughs> you still call it the seagull, though. Oh, uh, sure. Nina, the young girl in the play, tells Constantine that his play is hard to act in as there's no people in it. Difficult? Whoa. Look, I mean, art thrives on constraints. Mm-hmm. Right? So I would say, why not say make a play in which there is no play? You know, a play within a play. Fuck that. How about a play without a play? Now you've got my attention. Well, that's basically what he's done here. Ah. He angrily tells her, this is the playwright Constantine, that she's missing the point of the symbolic work. But she <laughs> continues, uh, this, this is a direct quote, there's not much action, just a lot of speeches. I think a play needs a love interest. So even she's not very into it and she's the one... St- Actor in the play. And is she super into, is she hot for this guy? Is she hot for Constantine? No, he's hot for her. She, at this stage, they are a little bit of a couple. Okay. Despite essentially telling him that his play sucks to his face, Constantine and Nina kiss. There you go, a little bit of action there. And he professes his love for her and she kind of avoids saying it back. And she's kind of saved by the bell when all the guests arrive to watch the play. Right. Is that a reference to the sitcom Saved by the Bell? Yes. Wake up in the morning. And I've got to make the bus on time. Is that that Beatles song? <laughs> yeah. Got out of bed. <laughs> have to make it to the bed in time. Now, can you confirm for me, uh, in Russia at this time, did they or did they not have hot chips? I I can't 100% confirm. Because I feel like they probably didn't. Because if, he, if they did have hot chips, he would have said, I feel drawn to this, uh, this play as if I was a seagull drawn to some chips. Because that feels much more powerful to me as a lure mm. for seagulls. Yeah. Unfortunately, I just looked it up. Chips were invented the following year. Nah. Embarrassing. Yeah. Wow. Maybe a rewrite is yeah. in order. Well, one can only hopefully. We could re- revisit it. So everyone arrives to watch the play on the on the lake. In attendance are the famous actor Irina, her lover, the famous writer Trigorin, Constantine's uncle Soren, and a few other people from around the farm mm, and stuff. Mm. Irina is impatient and asks when the play will start. <clears throat> Constantine snaps at her to wait before starting the play by literally banging a stick on the ground and, and yelling, I'm starting now. <laughs> I like that. Mm. I think, yeah. you know, a lot of things. I mean, where is this set? Like, I mean, where is he putting on this play? Is it just in a room with five people? No, it's like outside. It's outside on a lake, on a little stage that they've built. And So, this- so it's literally on the lake. Like, is it floating? No, no, so it's on the, just on the shore. On the shore. Okay, great. And uh, this is the setting. He opens with the line, Oh, ye ancient hallowed shades that float above this lake at night, lull us to sleep and may we dream of life in 200,000 years. 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 Is that written in? No, but that's uh, <laughs> implied. That's a, but there's like a mountain in the distance. Yeah, so yeah. There's a lot of echo. So he says that. That's how he starts to play. To which his uncle in the audience says, Heckles, in 200,000 years there won't be anything left. Oh, good, good heckle. And that not is not necessarily true. That is the first of many comments and heckles in which uh, Constantine considers a very serious artistic work. Now, if I was doing this play, putting on this play in uh, like high school or something, right, for my year 12, yeah. here's what I'd do. Okay. Right? I'd have the people playing those characters in the audience. I'd actually put them in the theatre, like with the actual audience of the play. So they were like sitting. With everyone, and everyone would be like, oh, wow. You know? You're part of the play within a play? Mm. Sort of, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and be like, oh, they're in the audience, they're watching the play, we're watching the play, but they're actors, but, you know, it's pretty interesting. If I, I did it, yeah. if I, the way I'd stage it is I wouldn't have people yelling things out. Great. That would be much kinder. Mm. Yes, just let the man do his work. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Nina starts her lines, the, the actor in the play, which, which are even wankier, by the way. But what does she play if she's not if there's no people in the play? She's sort of just um, describing things. Okay. Like, the lakes have turned to dust. The moon is now red. You know, just sort of descriptive things like that. And uh, the actress Irina, Constantine, the playwright's mother, yells out, Oh, this is terribly modern. She doesn't approve of the stage effects either, commenting, There's a smell of sulfur. Was that really necessary? To which Constantine, the playwright, says... Yes. <laughs> this is her son. Yes. Great. He, he eventually has enough and after only a couple of minutes of the play yells, enough, bring down the curtain, and runs off crying into the bushes. Wow. There are, so there are some bushes. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Lots. They'll come into play. Yeah, I wonder yeah. how, the, the, the how someone will kill them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> someone I'm not being choked by a bush. <laughs> um, I think it's, it's true. I've definitely had stand-up comedy experiences where uh, – Family members have been in the audience and especially if like they've had a drink or something, no one is more up for a heckle or like a chip in oh, or a think I sure. can help you with your jokes, Andy, than a family member. It is. Mm. It's horrible. Yeah. So I'm deeply relating to all You're of this right now. Well, Irina, the mother, is completely oblivious and says when he runs off into the bushes, what's up with him? But also she's an actor, right? Yeah. Super unprofessional. So And, she, and when others explain she shouldn't have made those comments, she says... Quote, but he told us his play was a joke, and that's how I treated it. So not very nice, which is a classic from a heckler at a stand-up night saying, yeah. I was just helping. Yeah, I was helping, I was helping the helping. show. <laughs> uh, Nina, the young actor in the play that was cut short, comes to meet everyone and is enamoured with the famous writer Tregoran. Mm. Irina laughs at the young... Irina, who's Tregoran's girlfriend, <laughs> laughs at the young girl Nina for flattering her boyfriend with compliments and acting nervous around him. Mm. Mm. Oh, Okay. Okay. Nina then realizes the time. I sense a triangle. Yeah. I've got two sides and an <laughs> okay. angle. Okay. I see where this is going. Oh. Nina realizes the time and has to race off back to sneak home before her father realizes that she's left. So then everyone leaves except a doctor named Eugene Dawn. Dr. Dawn. Uh, D-A-W-N? No, D-O-R-N. Great. Dr. Dawn. He tells the playwright Constantine when he returns that he liked the play. Oh, that's nice. the, the two minutes or whatever that he saw. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where there the was best two heckling minutes. and crying. Okay, yeah. and a smell of sulphur. Yeah. Yes, Constantine is extremely flattered and even gets tears in his eyes when he hears this. No, uh, if a doctor told me that, I'd say I wanted a second yeah. peanut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he just wants someone to care for him. This is Constantine. As long as it's not Masha. At the start of the show, she was the one rejecting the school teacher. Masha, because she's in love with Constantine. And uh, she's the only one who went look, looking for him when he ran off into the bushes. Oh. But when she finds him, Constantine tells her, leave me alone. Oh. Don't follow me around before leaving. So everyone, and she's the one who told the school teacher, bad luck, I don't love you. So mm. just, she's a student? Uh, she's quite young, but not one of his students. Everyone's mm. rejecting everybody's yeah. advances so far, aren't and they? No one is like realising how awful it, how awful they feel when they get rejected. <laughs> right. They're rejecting people <laughs> left, right and centre. But isn't that just Ugh. how we behave, you yeah. know? We all punch down. It's horrific. Oh, I'm, I'm really kind to people. No, okay. Everyone except for Alastair, though. You're the one true soul on this godforsaken planet. You're a good man and an even better lover. <laughs> so I've heard. Appreciate that from all of you guys. 
And that is the end of the first act, which sets wow. up all the characters. How many acts? There are four, but the next three are, are shorter. Wow, I didn't. That didn't even feel that long. All oh, right, I thought you thought you were like, whoa, how long is this thing going to go for? <laughs> <laughs> that's why I had to uh, console you there. Thank yeah, that's you so great. much. Do you think yes. that they call it? They they write first act at the start of the play as just like a as 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 a, as a adv- advice to the actors. Sort of like a like the order in which you act in. First act. Oh, right. <laughs> Second. Um, uh, bow. Third, go home. Is that how it works? Yeah, fourth, think about what you've done. Mm. Fifth, talk to somebody about the two minutes of your play that they saw. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> so the second act takes place a few days after the doomed staging of the play. Most of the group are now sitting on the croquet lawn. Very fancy. Mm. Yeah, these people are doing all right, aren't they? Well, you'd think they are because they're on this nice estate. Mm. They're always complaining about their money troubles. And this is, of course, pre-Russian revolution, isn't it? Yes. So this would be, uh, you know, you've got you've got your your tsars somewhere around. They're kicking around still, you know, the Alexanders. Yeah, that's right. In the, the Nicholases in Moscow somewhere. The Catherine the Greats. She she one of them. Yes, but that was probably a couple hundred years before. Yeah, this. yeah, sure, whatever. I mean, it's was just she related details. to Alexander the Great? <laughs> Yeah, it's his wife. Gonzo, Gonzo the Great, is he part of the same bloodline? Mm, cousin. Cousin. Once removed. Yep. Vlad the Impaler? <laughs> the you Great it's Impaler. The, the? Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's the. It's from the, the family. <laughs> we come from a long line of the. So they're sitting on the croquet lawn and entertaining each other by reading aloud from uh, a book by the French writer, Maupassant. Now, oh, real writer? Name? Yes, real writer. Don't know this guy. Malpersant. No, I wasn't really very familiar with him as well either. Anyway, it doesn't really matter too much because they're just reading from it. Irina, the actress, uh, gets young Masha, the poor girl secretly in love with her son, to stand up so Dr. Dawn can say in front of everyone who he thinks looks younger. (sighs) He says Irina, despite Masha being half her age. Wow. Brutal. Is he wait? Is he hitting on Irina? Is this another triangle angle? Well, basically, because she's very famous, people are just tell her what she wants to hear a lot yeah, of the right. time. Yes, and Irina says that this is in part due to the fact that unlike her, Masha spends her days doing nothing. Double brutal. So you've just been like, "Who looks younger out of us two? Huh? Me? Yeah. Do you know why? Because she sucks. Because <laughs> she does a nothing. Lady. But surely doing nothing has got to be at least yes. if good mm. for your skin. Yes, if nothing the, else. The royals they live forever. They do nothing. Mm. Uh, Nina, the younger girl from next door, the actress from the play, comes in and is ecstatic because her controlling parents have gone away for the weekend and she is now free to hang out with these artistic types next door. Irina asks Nina why her son Constantine has been so bored and depressed over the preceding few days and he's just been spending his time down by the lake alone. She is complete- oh, I don't know, maybe because you humiliated <laughs> yeah. him in she, front of all his friends. I don't understand kids. She is completely oblivious to the fact that it's because he's play-bombed and Masha, the girl in love with Constantine, suggests that to cheer him up, Irina, the famous actress, could recite something from the play. Irina replies, do you mean it? But it's so boring. <laughs> she's not a very nice person. But she's a wonderful mother. Yes. Well, you know, there's a, sometimes you become resilient through enduring hardship. That's what she's going for, definitely. Mm. Uh, then the manager of the estate, my favourite name here, Shamrayev. 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 They so used he... to sell those on the um, <laughs> on, on the shopping channel. 
<laughs> what was its, its big use? Oh, you could wipe things up. The shamrash. <laughs> you could weigh things up? No, wipe, wipe, wipe things, things up. up. It's, it's, oh, a, wipe it's a sham wow reference. <laughs> You said you could weigh things up. <laughs> put the put it on the chamray oven. It'll tell you how much it weighs. Look, I mean that could work as well. I don't think there are necessarily any right or wrong answers in Shopping Channel. Yeah, absolutely shop. right. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So Shamrayev, the wipey man, comes along, and he asks Irina, the actress, how she intends on getting to town that afternoon, asking which horses she's planning on using. Mm. He explains that all the horses on his estate are being used for farm work and that she'll have to organise something else. And Irina gets very defensive. And then Shamrayev gets even more defensive and says to her, look, dear lady, I worship your genius and I'd give you 10 years of my life, but a horse I cannot provide. <laughs> Oh, well, that, that means that he values horses above his <laughs> no, own no. life. Ten years. Or at least 10 years. You know, I'd give a horse 15 years of my <laughs> life. I did just yesterday. When people talk about horsepower, I mm. mean 15 years of their life. Yeah. Ferrari, that's 700 years of your life. When wow. people talk about horsepower, they're mostly talking about charm. Is that like 150 horsepower? You better believe it. <laughs> to the gallon, my friend. Or is it? Yeah, whatever. This is not a car podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Although you do get those seagull wings on some cars. Is that in any way relevant? Gull wings? Gull wings. Yeah, you get an extra horsepower for each gull yeah, wing. Thought so. Thanks. <laughs> he, yeah, he says this to her, I can't give you a horse. Then he, he quits. He yells, I quit, and storms out. To which Irina responds, he does this every year. Wait, so he quits not giving her horses? Yeah. Because she, she's like, well, <laughs> you should give me a horse. And he goes, well, if you're going to be like that, I quit. I'm out of here. And she says, you quit every year. He sounds like he's the real drama queen. Yeah, yeah totally. Mm-hmm. Everyone goes over to console Irina. And her brother, Soren, who, who's the state it is, starts having an asthma attack. So... Mm. um. Everyone goes to look after him as well, leaving just Nina on stage, the girl from next door. The young playwright, Constantine, enters, confirms she is alone, and then shows her a seagull that he shot and places it at her feet. She says, what's wrong with you? That's fair. He says, I shall soon kill myself in the same way, remembering this is a comedy. (laughs) He's the real drama queen. (laughs) They fight. Constantine says Nina has changed. And doesn't love him anymore since his play failed as, quote, women can't forgive failure. He then tells her that it's okay because he burnt his script. I also think, though, that men are too <clears throat> quick to rush to judge women's affections based on a play they saw a couple of days ago <laughs> when just recently they started bringing in dead birds. Yeah, and yeah. also it was two minutes of a play while people weren't really paying attention. It's only two minutes. Yeah. You're reading too much into it, mate. And you can't shoot yourself like you shot a bird because you can't fly and, you, and be in the ground at the same time. Indeed, if you were if flying, you, yeah, you wouldn't be you would you wouldn't be able to shoot yourself down unless you had the gun with you and you shot it down into some kind of like a trough, mm. you know, like a half pipe, and it came back up again yeah. and hit you. And even even then, mm. you'd ha- you'd be moving horizontally. The the, the physics. Involved yeah. in doing that would mean you'd have to practice so much. Mm-hmm. 
Also, though, I think once you'd discovered the gift of flight, your life would have changed so significantly from the circumstances that made you want to kill yourself in the first place yeah. that hopefully you wouldn't want to go through with it. And Nina, although although she saw your play as a failure, she would see your flying as a real <laughs> success. And that's after only two minutes of seeing him fly. Yeah, two minutes. And so you can make up her mind that quickly. Obviously, your mom, you'll never impress her. <laughs> yeah. You call that flying. Yeah. yeah. Two minutes of sustained flying. Oh, modern sustained flying is not that impressive, is it? So usually I have to explain the themes of the show, but of the of the text. But luckily, you guys are picking, picking it up. up. Yes, what you're putting. Thank down. you. Flying. <laughs> so Trigorin, who's the famous writer and uh, boyfriend of Irina, mm-hmm. Constantine's mother, he approaches, and Constantine remarks that it's obvious that his girlfriend Nina is inf- infatuated with the older writer, and he won't stand in her way, and he quickly runs away before Trigorin fully arrives, right. leaving them alone. <sighs> Trigorin comes in to tell Nina that he and Irina are uh, leaving unexpectedly early because of the horse incident. <laughs> oh, no. But what are they going to leave on? I know. It's very, oh, it's maybe very they, sad. Maybe they're going to steal now, a horse. Are we going to talk about, like, are we going to de- de- deconstruct themes and stuff at the end? Is that a thing that you're going to do as in, like, a separate section or should we be trying to no, identify No, no, you can them? identify them as you go do along. Do we get, like, points for... Identifying a theme. Okay, yes, I'll give you a ding's hound. Great. Um, is one of the themes uh, like communication? Ding. Yeah, great. Is one of the themes horses? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I had this sound effect, but ding, ding. Two. <laughs> Two. Wow. That was, whoa. Yeah, great. <laughs> so he says we're leaving. Even They've only just met a couple of nights ago. This is the older writer to the younger actress. He says, I don't suppose we'll meet again. I'm sorry. I don't often run across young, attractive girls, and I've forgotten how one feels at age 18 or 19. Can't picture it. I'd love to be in your shoes for an hour to find out what you think and what you'd like. Flirty, flirty. That is real flirty. Mm. Nina responds that she'd like to be in the shoes of a famous gifted rider. Trigorin, taking the flirty to the next level, then goes on a long tangent about how being a rider isn't as glamorous as it seems as he feels compelled to ride all the time. He's another tortured artist and is very unhappy with his work. Did they end up swapping shoes? (laughs) Yeah, same size. Amazing. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) the chances. Nina thinks he is spoiled by success and Trigorin is fascinated with this young lady. She complains she has lived her entire life on this estate and would give up anything to get away and become a famous actress. Trigorin asks if she'll help convince his girlfriend, Irina, that they should stay on a while. He's like, maybe you could have a word. Maybe I could get to know you a little bit better. Maybe talk her down off the ledger regarding these horses. (laughs) (laughs) She's angry. He then notices the dead seagull and says, what's that? Oh, so that's... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Still there through this whole conversation. And he's only just noticed it. Through all the flirting. And her response is a seagull. Constantine shot it. He says, a beautiful bird. I don't really feel like leaving. Just moving on. That's enough for him. 
Great yeah, subject change. No, that's been addressed. Oh, is yeah. that another theme, yeah. dead seagulls? Oh, forget it. Well, then he makes a note in his notebook and tells Nina, he wrote down an idea. He's always writing down ideas. Mm. He says, quote, a young girl like you has lived all her life by a lake. Like a seagull, she loves the lake. And she's happy and free like a seagull. But a man happens to come along and wrecks her life for want of nothing better to do, as has happened to this seagull. Yeah, they really wrecked that seagull's life. Yeah, totally. Irina then calls out to Trigorin with some news offstage. She says, don't worry, we'll be staying for a little while longer before we leave. Wait, so this is from offstage. Nina hasn't even had a conversation with No, so Nina's been on stage. Yeah. Irina's offstage and she yells out, Yeah. Hey, honey, we're going to... pretty convenient. Don't pack the bag so quickly. I've got over the horse thing. She's having like second thoughts about the horses. And that is the end of the first or second act. Whoa. Second half of the play. Okay. I wonder what happened off stage to make her <laughs> decide that she wants to stay. The horse apologised. Got Did down we... off a tie horse. Mm. Oh. <laughs> one horse got off another horse. Yes. Got oh. down on one knee. Yeah. <laughs> Very difficult for a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Just one. one of four. <laughs> yeah. So the other other <laughs> knees not even touching the ground. Legs <laughs> not even touching the ground. <laughs> Three in the air. I got to say, though, you know, when, when, when a man gets down on a knee to propose... He's often on a knee, but then he's also got a foot. But That's true. if they're actually just balancing on one knee, That's when you what know a romantic proposal. That is Im- impressive. He'd now, have to probably spin really fast to stay upwards. And that's why horses are so much more romantic than humans because they have even more knees to not put on the ground mm. when they kneel to propose <laughs> marriage. Yeah. And if you're balancing on top of that horse on your yes, knee while yes. it's balancing oh, on wow. its knee, mm-hmm. yeah, you'll basically get double married. It'll be bigamy with one marriage. <laughs> they can't say no. They just can't. So are you guys following so far with the characters? Uh, yeah, look, I think so. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't have a feeling of like what all this is, is adding up to, but we're just getting like various bits of tension. Now, do you know if like during the – like how long would these acts take place on stage? Like how oh. long would an act be? Are you having an interval between the acts? Yes, I believe uh, that there's probably an interval uh, could be between the third and the fourth act. Right, okay. Because time passes. So what's the point of acts if you're not, like, doing an interval or something between them? Oh, so the, at the end of each one, the curtain comes down and then... So that was set on the croquet lawn. The next act is set I in the knew. dining room. But these sound like scenes to me more than acts. Yes. Well, basically, well, they are all scenes. Yeah, all right. But let's call them... Acts. Yeah, because it sounds important. It sounds, it sounds, very, play, it sounds very theatre. More play-like. Yep. So the third act... Or scene, if you will. Thank you. <laughs> Takes place in the dining room. I get it now. So we're now in the dining room and there are suitcases stacked by the door, implying an impending departure. It's the horse incident. Oh, no. Irina's changed her mind again. <clears throat> so she said, or we'll stay for a little. Or is this non-linear? Is this going back? No, no. So she said, <clears throat> we're not leaving right away, but we're still leaving. Okay. It's just a postponement. Like, are they yep. moving away? Yeah, so they're, they're at this country estate. She doesn't live there. She's visiting her brother. Right. They often go there for the, for the summer. Soren. Yeah, Soren's just visit his, his beautiful house for the summer. But because of the horse incident, she's going back to Moscow. From the neighbour who didn't want to lend her a horse because they were being used <laughs> yeah. for farming. No, it's the manager of the estate. Okay. Because so, Soren's quite old. He has another man run the farm. Now, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm reading too much into this, but I've noticed a trend, right? We've got, we've got a lake, croquet lawn, 
dining room, take the first letter of each of those locations, L, C, D. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Does the next location for the fourth act start with sound system? Yes, it does. Okay. I thought so. That's crazy. Yeah. Really? He can always pick where things are going. Yeah, the first letter is sound system. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is that ru- weird Russian letter that's like a Yeah, I never want R. I never knew how you pronounced that. Yeah, sound system. Apparently. It's that or ananas. Mm. It's very difficult to say. <laughs> or the Spanish version of that yeah. that I don't remember. Piña. Piñata. So it, we're in the dining room. It, this act opens with Masha, the girl in love with Constantine, talking to the writer Trigorin about how since the last act, Constantine has attempted to kill himself by shooting himself in the head. While flying. But he missed yes. and only grazed himself. Remember, comedy. So he's trying to shoot himself in the head, but yeah. he grazed his yeah, head. Yeah, so he, he didn't kill himself. He just injured his head. So now he's walking around with a bandage. Oh, no. So both his play and his attempted at suicide have been a big miss. And both criticised by his mother, yes. Wow. Uh, Masha tells Constantine that she's giving up on love and she's marrying the teacher Simon Medvedenko. Oh. From the, who at the very start of the play was confessing his love to her, saying, you won't mm. marry me because I'm poor. And, and she says, and he's like, why are you giving up on love? She says, when I'm married, I shan't bother about love. New worries will drive out the old. Mm. So she's given up. Yeah, great. Well, I mean, Irina basically said you're ugly to in front of everybody, mm. right? That could have contributed to yes, this. Yes, I definitely mm. think her self-esteem is an all-time low. But also, you know, she's taking, she's picking stability over, you know, she's picking the one in in the hand over the two in the bush. This is true. Seagulls. Yeah, well. Yeah, two seagulls in a bush. It's a... Bush gulls. Constantine Mm. and the dead seagull. Um, Trigorin reveals that he and Irina are in fact leaving, so it's their stuff by the door. Irina's worried that her and Trigorin's presence are what drove her son into a depression, and also Constantine has apparently challenged her bo- challenged her boyfriend Trigorin to a duel. This oh. woman is so unself-aware; <laughs> it's driving me crazy. <laughs> so, so he wants to get away so he doesn't have to fight a duel. Wow. Masha leaves, but not before <laughs> getting Trigorin to write her a nice little inscription into one of his famous books. He writes to her, "Quote for Masha." who doesn't know where she came from or why she goes on living. (laughs) We're not really not nice to mash up. With these these wise words of wisdom, she leaves. Do we see her again? Oh, she'll be back. I reckon she'll be the one who'll be drowning people in the lake (laughs) or in the bush. Shoving a bush down someone's throat. Take it. A young aspiring actress, Nina, comes in and gives the writer Trigorin a going-away present. It's a medallion inscribed with his initials on one side and the title of one of his books, Days and Nights, on the other. Before Irina comes back in, Nina asks Trigorin for two minutes alone before he he leaves so they can talk at a later time. Mm. He says, okay. Nina leaves, and when Irina comes back in, she says, who was that? Was that Nina? Sorry I intruded. So clearly she thinks something is happening between this young girl mm. and her boyfriend, the famous writer, Trigorin. Trigorin a- examines the gift from Nina again, and it says his book title, Days and Nights, and then the words, page 121, lines 11 and 12. It's a code. It is some sort of... Mm. He asks is there, if there's any book uh, copies of his books in the house, and is told there is in the study, so he leaves to go and track down this line. Meanwhile... Irina, the actress, fights with her brother Soren about how she is treating her suicidal son, Constantine. 
She reasons that he tried to kill himself because of jealousy of her lover, Trigorin, so thinks it's a good idea to leave. Soren explains that that's not the whole story and that it's also because of how she reacted to his play and also that he's trapped in the countryside without a job or purpose and that she could improve his life by buying her son a suit or paying for a little holiday. She complains that she can't afford that. She initially claims to be broke, but then says she does have money, but that spending money on dresses alone has ruined her financially. So she doesn't have money. She well, does have dresses. Yeah, I think she does have money. She just doesn't want to spend it on her son. Or maybe she's just saying that she's rich in family and friends. Yeah. <laughs> you know? She's definitely rich in those, yeah. in those ways. Soren, her brother, who is not very well at all, stumbles from being dizzy and Irina calls out for help. Her son, Constantine, enters with a bandage around his head. Soren regains his composure and goes off for a bit of a lie down. Mm. So now, alone on stage, is Constantine and his mother, Irina. Now, I've got to ask, is that all that stumbling and stuff, is that relevant? Do you reckon that's relevant? You can tell me right now. Is that going to be relevant? Well, throughout the play, Soren is quite sick. Is he going to die? Oh, feels like. Because I'm getting pretty close to Soren. He might be the guy who falls in the lake for <laughs> yeah, If anything, he's, he's the one that I relate to. He's the quite most. elderly. Yeah. David, come on. It's revealed that he's 60 years old, and this is 1896 in Russia. Yeah, right. Quite old. Is he having a relationship with the the horse guy? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. It's keeping him young. Mm. Horse blood. (laughs) It's a secret. (laughs) Oh, that's why they can't can't get... She can't use the horses (laughs) because they're all (laughs) hooked up to transfusions. They don't have any blood. Yeah. They're all dry. They're all desiccated. This is... Spot on the money. He's got. Mm. A, he's he's feeding the horses rabbit blood <laughs> or seagull blood. Yeah, you got to keep. He's just moving blood around <laughs> the ecosystem. Keep... He's just laundering it. He's just, he doesn't want anyone to catch up with him, so he's constantly taking blood out of seagulls, putting it into rabbits, <laughs> taking the blood out of the rabbits, chucking it into a horse. The horse goes into his lover Soren. And at some point, all these plates he's got in the air are going to come crashing down, and this whole. Our blood pyramid mm. is going to be revealed for what it is, but as long as he <laughs> thinks, as long as he keeps it going, I mean, it, I mean, it's all blood, right? It's all blood. It's all blood. It's all red. It's probably one of the themes. <laughs> yeah, one of the themes. Blood. <laughs> anyway, so now uh, Constantine's alone with his mother on stage. He asks her that uh, tells her that she should uh, lend her brother Soren some money. So Soren said, "Give the money to your son," and the son said, "Give your money to Soren." Again, she says, "I'm not a banker. What are you, why is everyone trying to bleed me dry here? Bleed, bleed money, Uh-oh. but dry, dry. like horse. a horse. Yeah. <laughs> Horsepower, <laughs> kneeling down. What? <laughs> One knee. <laughs> all the others are bandaged up from all the all the needles. Marriage commitment." Like when you take blood out of an animal. That's a a needle in a haystack. Why would a needle be in a haystack unless somebody had been doing transfusions in a mm. horse stable? This is true. Yes. Uh, Constantine asked his mother to help change his bloody head bandage. Mm. Mm-hmm. Coincidence? And they finally seem to be getting on. Bit of a mother-son time. Mm-hmm. Constantine reminisces about when he was a boy and promises not to hurt himself again. But then... The subject of her lover, Trigorin, the so-called famous writer, comes up again and quickly they begin to quarrel. Constantine says, his books make me sick. And Irina replies, well, pretentious nobodies always run down really brilliant people. That's all they're good for. He says, well, I'm more talented than all you lot put together. And he says, you're a miser. And she says, tramp. 
All cut, right. Cutting dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, uh, that family theme that I picked up on is really... Um, oh, that, there's a bit of jealousy as well. Uh, it's a good theme as well. Yeah. And then Constantine begins to cry and his mother starts kissing his forehead and apologising for her temper. Constantine tells her that he is miserable because he's the love of his life, Nina, now loves Trigorin, and that his mother, who was Trigorin's actual girlfriend, says, don't worry, he'll be gone with me soon, and then she'll love you again. <laughs> this is how women work. I'll take him away. Well, this, I mean, look, he's lost the love of both of the women in his life to this Trigorin. You could understand that yeah, he's that's upset. Right. Exactly, he's taken them all, one yeah. at a time. It's like his... The two women in his life are chips, and Tregoran is a seagull. Thank you. <laughs> of course, he wouldn't know that because they didn't have chips no. that year. Yeah. Now you're putting it into metaphor. <coughs> these people understand. Yeah. Uh, so they, they make up. Constantine agrees not to duel with Tregoran, but says, I don't want to see that guy. And speaking of the devil, Tregoran wanders in, so Constantine runs away. Trigorin doesn't notice him because he's off in his own world and muttering to himself about the line in his book that the medallion referred to. He's muttering the line, if you should ever need my life, then come and take it. That's the line, page 1 of 13 or whatever, mm. line 11 and 12. It's weird because it's already, like, it's a pretty cryptic line as well, right? Mm. So, like, why direct him to some line in a book? But that- she was probably looking through the book. For hours and hours, and oh. she couldn't say anything like... None Come snog me behind yeah. the rose bushes. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't anything to that near the like Near the near the seagull carcass, <laughs> just lay me down there or whatever. I'll meet you at the seagull carcass. Nobody seems to be moving it. But but there was but that wasn't written in the book, so she just found whatever. If you want my life, take it. She just flicked to a page. Yeah, mm. she went, oh, this will be close yeah, enough. Close you'll, close get enough. you'll get the gist. He's a writer. You can read into it. Trigorin asks Irina about the quote and she says, are you so infatuated? Not expecting expecting him to say, she attracts me. This is what I need. Trigorin attempts to convince Irina that if she were to allow him to become Nina's lover, the sacrifice would make her a great woman. That is a very bold uh, <laughs> line of argument and mm. I respect his... <laughs> Sort of chutzpah. Yeah, he's really going for it. He, yeah. Com- yeah. he complains that he worked so hard as a writer when he was younger that he never got to experience young love like this, and this might be his only chance. <laughs> and, and and what does she say? I mean, I assume fair enough. She gets down on her hands and knees and begs him to stay with her, kissing him and saying, you're all mine. Now, he- here's her problem. If she'd got down on just one knee yeah. <laughs> with the others, the hands and the oh, other no. knee in the air, yeah. balancing like that on a knee as well. That knee, I think you think you think of the knee as being sort of down on one knee. You're thinking of the whole shin and foot is in no. contact with the ground. No, it's a single knee. It's no. a and that's not a balancing no. uh, point f- traditionally for the body. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, very interesting. But she's down on me and uh, he basically says, oh, all right, I've never had a spine. Let's stay together. And that's good enough for her. See, this is how uh, staple relationships are made. Absolutely. Mm. Well, there was some compromise. A lot of begging and yeah. a lot of, all right, <laughs> fine. And uh, she packs the horse-drawn carriage, so she's allowed to use the horses to leave, as you noticed before. Mm. And they all say goodbye just before Irina and Trigorin. Including the horses. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, there was also a cold breeze. They were quite uh-huh. cold. I see. 
Uh, just before Irina and Trigoran leave, he has a small private talk with Nina as promised. She explains that he has inspired her to leave the safety of her father and move to Moscow to try and become an actor. Trigorin is happy to hear this and tells her to stay at a specific hotel in Moscow and to tell him when she arrives. Oh, heck. And that they can rendezvous. He calls her my darling and they share a lengthy kiss. The curtain falls and that is the end of Act 3. Holy moly. That felt, that felt like the action really picked up in the third mm. act. That's a thing, isn't it, in... Uh... You know, in uh, in in plays and stuff. That's and right. Movies. And the Third fourth act. and final act, they hope, will resolve everything. Mm. And this is the one where they might may have a break <clears throat> because two years pass between Act Three and the final act. That's wow. a, quite a break. The action takes place in one of the estate's drawing rooms that Constantine has converted into a study for his writing. The weather is now symbolically poor. Bit of a weather change. Mm. Poor, mm. like as in like overcast. Yes, uh, a bit of a Russian winter. Oh, no. So a proper winter. So, like, snow. This is a great example of something that you might get in winter, Alistair. Um, Let's all this one thing each. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, sleep, but real heavy sleep. No, but I... Like, like, not very wet, mostly just the icy part of sleep. I've already said one, but what about wind? All right, well, that was going to be my one, so... Oh, okay, what I'm about clouds? All right, Alistair, you're using all the good ones. Uh, Hang on, Dave, we can we can do this together, all right? Sometimes sun. small patches of sun. Yes, but sun small patches. patches of sun. Sun showers. So oh, you used not, all the good winter ones. It's not that poorly, though. No. What about sleet angels? Oh, that, like... Depressing. <laughs> there, there's no angels, but a lot more depressing. And you get very wet yeah. and sludgy. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah, yeah, that would be disgusting. Sorry, Brown. So it's symbolically poor. Masha... We all remember Masha the Slasher. She yes. comes into the study with the hu- with the husband that she has settled for, oh, the yeah. schoolmaster Medvedenko. They they now have a baby together, but mm-hmm. Masha hasn't been home to a see- baby that she's settled for. Yeah, well, she hasn't been home to see her son in three days, and when her husband presses her, she's to go home and maybe f- help feed the baby. She snaps and tells him he is boring, and all he talks about these days is the baby. That is a problem in you know in, mm. in relationships when you have a kid you've got to find a way to like diversify and keep other things alive in your relationship. So you got to get a shared maybe hobby like the stock market or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I instead mean, of the baby, he could be say, a... "Oh, the Nasdaq's up." <laughs> <laughs> you haven't fed the Nasdaq in days. <laughs> the Nasdaq is that technology stocks? Is that the Nasdaq? Uh, one of them is. Oh, the oh, the. The Dow the hun- Jones is looking pretty good. The Hung Sen is, the hung uh, Sen. is uh, on a bullish today. <laughs> I'm so glad we have children together. <laughs> well, he's hoping for a bit of that. He he leaves and barely anyone says goodbye to him. No. He's like, I'm going now. These he- two feel irrelevant to the plot. I could get rid of these two. All right, delete it. Go on. Yeah, they're gone. Is it Masha? Masha yes. and Medvedenko. They're out. They oh, do sound like finalists in well, a tennis tournament, though, don't they? They do, definitely. Well, oh. I've got to talk about her mother, Masha's mother, Polina, I've mentioned before, just for this plot, plot point. because She remarks to Constantine that his writing has become successful in the last two years and he started selling his stories to magazines <clears throat> and also he's become quite good-looking too. Well, that can happen wow. over a couple of years sometimes. Your face yeah. matures. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that when he shot himself, he like <laughs> shot off some sort of yeah. ugly growth yeah, or something, a mole? He or... just shot off some fat. <laughs> yeah, he might have like, you know, shot off some like extra stuff that was 
that was concealing his cheekbones. Ah. <laughs> now he looks great. <laughs> On one side only. Yeah, with you can see. Speech. Wow, your cheekbone looks great. <laughs> yeah. Literally the bone is <laughs> yeah. exposed. I love it. <laughs> that is so. Well, don't turn to the left. That's your horrible side. Your, yeah, the your fleshy covered side. side. <laughs> yes. mm. uh, knowing her daughter is still in love with Constantine, this is Masha, she asks him to be nicer to her. Would it kill you to be nicer? And he responds by walking out of the room without saying anything. Mm. Maybe he's thinking about it. Mm. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, Masha is he is- thinking about it? No. <laughs> Masha is annoyed at her mother for making her love leave, but says that her love for Constantine, but uh, says that her love for Constantine will soon be over. She is planning to move it, move away with her husband. She's like out of sight, out of mind. I'll get over this. Oh, classic. That's just like her mom. I know that's like his mom. Yeah, just trying to get away. Uh, in the two years since the last act, Soren. The owner of the estate, Constantine's sick uncle's health has worsened. Oh, but he's still no. hanging on. He's hanging on. That's the that's the bad of the bad one of the two possible ways that health can go. Mm. It could have gotten better. Could have gotten better, but instead it got worse. It got worse. I mean, it could have plateaued. Oh, that's true. Mm. <laughs> My health has really plateaued <laughs> over these last two years. <laughs> Um, so he's uh, well, he's he's worsened. So he asked to be moved into the drawing room to be closer to his nephew while he works. He asked for his sister Irina, and it is said that she is on the way to the train station to meet her partner Trigorin. Soren remarks that if they've sent for his sister, then his health really must have deteriorated. So he says, maybe he go and get my sister, and they say she's already on her way. And he thinks I'm probably dying. Then <laughs> wow. He speaks of his various regrets that he didn't do more with his life, like become a famous writer, but he's told it's too late for regrets, old man. Wow. Like, he's in such bad condition that he doesn't even know that he's in bad, bad condition <laughs> yeah. and he's finding out. He's inferring it from uh, other people's travel plans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the doctor's got like a clipboard, a clipboard there. He's like, how's my chart looking, doctor? Oh, uh, well, here's uh, your sister's itinerary. <laughs> yeah. Itinerary. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. St. Petersburg. <laughs> my health is really plateaued. <laughs> so now they're all in the room together waiting for Irina and Trigorin's arrival as they discuss what has happened over the last couple of years. Convenient for us as we don't know. Yeah, mm. but everyone's getting back together, right? Is yeah, that the idea? it's a bit of a reunion. Mm-hmm. Just probably say goodbye to Soren. Constantine reveals that his former lover Nina has had an affair with Trigorin, the famous writer. Saw that coming. I absolutely saw that coming. I picked it. The minute he said that thing about meeting her at a hotel. Yeah, uh, she became pregnant. <gasps> to him. <gasps> oh, no. But the baby died and Trigorin left her for Irina. Oh, thank God. His original girlfriend. <laughs> Remember. I'm, I'm really rooting for those guys. I want them to stay together. Who's your favourite couple? The power couple mm. of Masha and the schoolmaster that you think shouldn't even be here. Wow. I hope Constantine gets back together with the seagull. <laughs> he shot it. He shot it out. I know, but they could stay together now that the the seagull can no longer die on him. I hope that the croquet lawn and the lake meet at a shoreline somewhere and that the earth sinks back beneath the sea and the world returns to a primordial state where all was peace. That sounds like the setting for Constantine's play 200,000 years in the future. (laughs) Future. Future, all right. Future. So it, uh, uh, Constantine reveals that Trigorin was cheating on both Nina and Irina, as Constantine puts it, with a foot in both camps, but ultimately he chose Irina. Constantine also says that Nina attempted to 
career as an actor in Moscow, but she, that she wasn't very good. He knows this because he followed her around for a time, but she refused to see him, so he came back home to write. They corresponded by letters where he could sense that she was unhappy as she signed to them, The Seagull. Mm. I mean, that's not necessarily a sign of unhappiness. Hey, she could have been She could be happy. really playful. It's <laughs> just me, like, the seagull. Like, Whoa, I'm so wacky. I'm like an animal, a bird. <laughs> Very playful. You were mistaking her for the seal. Yes. Ah. Her alternative sign off. <laughs> she balances an inflated ball in her nose. All that whole I mean, seals don't really have any other tricks, do they? Mm, and the nose, of course, the knee of the face. <laughs> they get and down on one nose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he then says he's uh, that she's moved back to town and is staying at an inn not far from the estate, but that her mother and father want nothing to do with her since she became an actor and that have even hired armed guards to keep her from going near their house. Wow. Isn't that outrageous? A seal really is just a one big knee. It is, isn't it? <laughs> 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 um, does she have a child? Did the baby end up getting born? It was born, but then it died oh. at a young age, I'm afraid. Remember, comedy in four acts. Yeah, We're yeah. in the fourth act. The humour has yet to start. It's going to be a big punchline finish. <laughs> uh, Irina and Trigorin arrive, and Trigorin <laughs> hands Constantine a magazine with his latest story in it. He tells Constantine that there's a lot of talk about him in Moscow and that Trigorin, the famous writer, is always being asked about Constantine. He's very flattered to hear this, but when he examined, examines the magazine's pages, he notices that Trigorin has clearly read his own story in the magazine, but did not bother to read Constantine's. You can always tell like, I don't know how he knows. The, when Crumpled the words pages. get sort of ro- run, worn down by the eyes looking mm. at them. Yep. Yeah. He somehow knows. Everyone sits down to play a, ga- a card game called Lotto, but Constantine says he's going out for a walk. But then he's instead heard playing sad piano in the next room. Oh, no. <laughs> sad piano. While he's out, one of the characters reveals that the newspapers aren't actually very kind to Constantine's writing after all. So he's selling the stories, but he's not getting great reviews. Yes. Trigorin remarks, none of his characters is ever really alive. Oh, no. Picking on the young guy. The only one to stand up. And someone else says, and also he didn't really get that handsome over the last few years. (laughs) His cheekbone is disgusting. (laughs) That gaping wound in his face isn't as hot as everyone tells him it is. It's actually slightly less hot. Mm-hmm. The only one to stand up for him again is Dr. Dawn, who says that he thinks his writing is good and that Constantine is onto something. Again, he's probably only read the first two minutes. Who was Do- Dawn complimenting last time? Uh, Constantine, after the play, he said, I really oh. liked the oh, first yeah, two minutes I saw. Right. So he, he's into the new this new modern stuff. Mm. Constantine's biggest critic, his mother, Irina, replies, you know, I've never yet read his stuff. Never had the time. <laughs> She's... Not a great supporter. I, I can I, look. I can. I know we're we're saying we're 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 making fun of this for claiming it's a comedy, but I do find her character's self delusion and uh, self involvement a little bit funny. Like you could play that for comedy. I reckon. You could. And Dorn seems like an idiot as well. Who's just like, I like it. <laughs> I thought it was good. I like the pictures. <laughs> I like the way the people were moving around. Oh, Dorny. And I also think when Soren, when he was stumbling around a bit, before we knew that he was going to die from being sick, mm. but when he stumbled around, you could have played that for comedy as Pretty well. Like you could have, yeah, you could have bumped into something or, like, whoa, oh, yeah. whoa. He goes back and forth across the stage. Maybe he's carrying like a big pile of books or something <laughs> like that mm. or, or a, a, a tray of drinks. There you go. That would be quite funny. 
Or you can uh, carry a seal. Yeah. Yes, carry a seal. <laughs> Whoa. This is great. Where did I get this from? <laughs> Whoa. Oh, I just <laughs> shot this in the lake. <laughs> I, I, it, it's, it's not really written into the stage directions, but I think y- one of the things you can do is you can sort of add as many seals as you want mm. into the play to really update it for the modern stage. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, as time goes by, as seals become more part of the zeitgeist. Mm. Yes. And, and really, there's no way we'll ever meet a maximum seal. Indeed. No, that's do you know right. what I mean? It is like constantly building. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, never maximum. Like Always I remember... <laughs> When I saw somebody with uh, 10 seals in a yeah. play, I remember looking at it and thinking, this is incredible. What a masterful reinvention of the form. Mm. But then I saw someone with 11 seals in a play and mm. my mind was once again blown. And I thought, you know what? This is what's really good. Somehow mm. they did it. Yeah. It was, it was at least 10 times better. I would love to see that. <laughs> <laughs> 11 seals in a play. <laughs> How many seals are it? <laughs> uh, so Shikoran wins the card game and they all go into the other room for dinner. They call out to Constantine, but he's not hungry and stays alone and speaks to himself out loud, criticising his own writing. So we get to hear a bit of the, the inner monologue. Until there's a knock at the door, it's his old girlfriend, Nina. Hello. Nina's back. It's getting interesting. Yeah, she lays her head on him and starts to cry. She is paranoid someone will come in, especially either Trigoran, her ex-boyfriend, or Irina. Yeah, the one or some it, of the armed guards, yeah. Yeah. Or, or some of the seals, or Soren, who's quite sick and shouldn't be walking around. <laughs> yeah, whoa! They don't know at this time that it's not contagious. Oh, right. has not been confirmed, so <gasps> they wouldn't. So she's paranoid. She gets Constantine to lock one door, and another door can't be locked. So he puts a chair up against it. Nina speaks <laughs> of how they are both now what they dreamed of being when they were younger a couple of years ago: a writer and an actress. But now life is difficult. She's nostalgic for their youth. Nina is depressed because she's realised that she's actually not a very good actress. That is hard. That mm. is hard to take. But she's yeah. she's honest about it. Constantine professes his love to Nina and recounts how he was tormented when she left him and nothing he has accomplished has felt good to him because she is not present to share his success. So he's actually mm. experiencing some success by being published, but it means nothing without this young lady in his life. Yeah, and also because it means nothing because people who publish his work don't really like it. Yeah, and exactly. his mum hasn't read it. She mm. hasn't even. And Maybe. the other guy has not even opened the pages, apparently. And that yeah. Dr. Dawn's just a fucking idiot. Yeah, he's only read two minutes of it. Dawn likes it. Dawn. Yeah, yeah you actually don't want Dawn to like it. He's like uh, not a tastemaker, but a taste ruiner. Yeah, uh, he's like the canary in the coal mine yeah. in terms of your stuff is bad. Yeah. <laughs> if the canary goes down the coal mine and says, I love this coal mine, <laughs> you're like, that canary does not have good taste well, in leave... decorating. It's very dark and unpleasant <laughs> this, down this there. It's probably a bad coal mine. Let's yeah. leave him in here to die. That, ca- <laughs> that canary also said that it loved my living room. <laughs> I've got to get the decorators in. <laughs> Nina asks about the man uh, she left Constantine for, Trigorin. She confesses to Constantine that she still profoundly loves Trigorin. In fact, she loves him now more than ever before hugging Constantine and running out the door. Never to be seen again. Sorry, stifling his emotions, Constantine looks out the window and remarks that his mother would be annoyed if she saw Nina in the garden. Then he starts tearing up his manuscript and his unfinished writing. In the next room, the others have returned from dinner and decide to play another game of Lotto. Shamrayev, the horseman, presents Trigorin. He's back. He's back. He <laughs> does this every year. He, prevents Trigo- he presents Trigorin. Exactly. <laughs> he quit. <laughs> now he's back. <laughs> I mean, since the two years have passed, he's quit two more times. 
Uh, he presents Trigor and the famous writer with a stuffed seagull that Constantine shot two years ago. Uh-huh. Remember how he put it at the feet and he went, oh, yes, yes. I should write about this. Uh, and apparently he said to Shemraev that he'd like it stuffed. Trigorin says he doesn't remember asking for it at all. This is symbolic that he has forgotten the seagull, a.k.a. Nina. Uh-oh. Dr. Dawn pushes the door that Constantine locked with a chair looking for him, and a large bang is heard from inside the drawing room. Irina is startled by the sound, but Dawn calms her down by saying the sound was probably only a popped cork in a bottle in his medicine bag. He says, And she says, no worries. Thanks. Dawn then goes in to check on the sound and comes back into the group and announces, as I said, a bottle of ether's exploded, don't worry. He takes a magazine and brings Trigor and the writer aside, saying he wants to talk, talk to him about an article on America in the magazine. Mm. But then Dawn tells Trigor privately that he needs to get Irina out of the house quickly because, quote, the fact is Constantine has shot himself. At the same time as an ether bottle exploded yeah, in his ch- bag. What are the chances? The curtain falls and that is the end of the play. So when he shot himself, was it in the other side of the face, yeah. balancing up the Trying two to get, cheekbone exactly. wounds and making himself even more beautiful? That is open to interpretation. Okay. <laughs> you got to leave it open or else it's not art. Now, so that's the end. How do you feel? Well, I mean, it's a lot of talking, isn't it? Yes, but it is a play in its defence. Okay. Mm. No, that's true. I was thinking it was a game of billiards. Um, uh, yeah. I I can imagine enjoying seeing this play. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I Look, I'm glad I got the shortened version. Mm. Yeah, because I think it would have been long. Sure, sure. You know, and it doesn't feel like I'm, there's anything super uh, revelatory in, in it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you want a story to kind of like take it to the next level, make you a better person. You don't feel like a better person after hearing mm, this? Maybe worse. Right. <laughs> well, it's good. It, I think the important thing is that art takes you to another level. Mm, that's it right. can change. make you worse. You can tell that this is good art or right, like high culture or whatever it is because well, everyone ends up sad. Yes. Know? So like, a lot of uh, Chekhov stuff is very depressing. Mm. And I think I think that's a real like... You know, it's almost like a life hack, but for writing good uh, literature. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was an editor and somebody brought me in a book, you know, Mr. Bump goes to the beach or whatever, I'd look mm. at it and I'd be I like, like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, this this is all very interesting. Mr. Bump, he gets in his car, he mm. goes to the beach, he finds a ball, um, uh, the ball uh, blows out to mm-hmm. sea and he tries to swim out, out yep. to it. Uh, and uh, he, he, in the end, a dolphin uh, gets the ball and uh, and pushes it back in and carries Mister mm-hmm. Mister Bump back to mm-hmm. the beach. Um, yeah, you know, I'd I'd read that book and I'd say, you know what? Let's lose this beach. Mm-hmm. Um, Mister Bump, he's not called Mister Bump. He's called Alan Edwards. Mm-hmm. His um, okay. son uh, kills himself. Yeah, uh, and he goes on like a a long drive to visit a friend uh, at a mining town in yep. Western Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, instead of the dolphin, um, none, of, none of that happens. It's an explosion. There's an, exp- there's an explosion <laughs> at the mine. Uh, he runs in. He sees the body of his dying friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, then as the mine collapses around him, he just decides to stay in the mine. You know, that's – and then I'd be like, see, so that's at least one Nobel Prize for literature you get for just doing that. Right. And then the writer says – no worries. Yeah. 
Can I still put my name on that? <laughs> I say, absolutely. It's your idea. It's yeah, your well, story. Well, well, I don't want to tread on your toes. I'm, I'm just an editor. I'm just, yeah. you know. I'm just editing out words that don't need to be there. Exactly. Yeah. Putting in punctuation and changing the plot. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm doing. It's, it's a simple matter of editing. Yeah. <laughs> so I always ask the, uh, the guests on the show to rate the the novel or the play out of five. Sure. Uh-huh. Based five on watts. Five seagulls. Okay. How many seagulls? Every- Play. Everything yeah, it only made sense here. Great. I wouldn't say it makes sense here. I'm going to say three and a half seagulls. Three and a half from Al out of five. Um, I would definitely, I'd be looking at my watch a lot mm. during this. And um, and that's good? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I've got a very shiny watch and sometimes it, it reflects things and I might get to see more of the play on mm. my watch. Mm, um, and I will say I'll give it four stars. Four stars out of five. Yeah, because I want to sound like I appreciate good things. Yeah. See, but I didn't. I I didn't quite see all the good stuff in it. But maybe that's no. But it's famous. I know it's famous. And that's why I gave it three and a half instead of three. <laughs> I'm also <laughs> going to give it four seagulls. Wow. Out of five stars. Great. <laughs> are we? Are you keeping a record of the scores? I'm writing them down for some reason. Yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah, it's really important. I always bring it back to the fact that Matt Stewart gave Othello three stars. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe even two and a half. I loved his honesty. I really, really did. Oth- but thank you so much for joining me oh. to discuss the seagull. Thank you very much for having us join you on the podcast. This has been one of the greatest pleasures of my life. <laughs> you how many seagulls <laughs> three and a half <laughs> three and a half right? i mean that's peak peak hell so this this play's really been good for you yeah now i'd love to tell people about your fantastic podcast two in the think tank mm-hmm. would you like to give me give our listeners a little pitch what can they expect it's a podcast in which alistair and i come up with five sketch ideas mm-hmm. and it's a very silly stream of consciousness conversation it's not that d- different from some of the riffs that we might have gone on during this episode say, indeed you know say with the, the seals or the horse or the horse and the, the knees. kneeling down i mean they're always animal based yeah exclusively yes animals doing different things with different parts of their bodies some of them we, are fun we gotta admit that these this this podcast is only really relatable to mammals so um we if apologize. you are a mammal please listen in so, I, but it's a great podcast. I will link below also to your your Twitter account. Oh, lovely! I'm stupid old Andy on Twitter. I'm at Alistair TB, and we're at Two in Tank. David, what's your Twitter address? Oh, my Twitter address is at Dave Warnicky. But more importantly, because we're just starting out, if you want to follow at Book Cheat Pod, mm. I will. I absolutely oh, thank will. Thank you very much on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook is all the all the same handle there. And if you want to get in contact at any time, bookcheatpod at gmail.com. Let me know any plays or novels you want me to do, and I'll probably bloody do them. Can I chuck some in there right now? Yes, what are you, what are you thinking? Can you do, um, oh, what's the one? 1984. Yes. Really? No, that wasn't what I was going okay. to say, but that so, is a really good answer. I haven't read 1984, and oh. I'd love to be able to say that I had. Okay. Mm. Maybe we'll look into that. Are there any Australian books that are good? Um. Alan Marshall, I Want to Jump Puddles. Is that good, is it? Well, it's a Penguin classic I always see, and I think, oh. And there was a statue of him outside my local library. Yeah, right. Oh, well, you don't just get those for doing nothing. What about the 
One of those Peter Carey ones. Oh, like is he is he is he True History of the Kelly Gang? Yeah, true. That's the only one I've read. I don't oh. think I don't think that's like a great work of literature, though. You oh, know, he might have he might have got a nomination for one of those like Booker. Or yeah, but I just man, don't think I just don't think man we do prize. it. I don't think we do it. Oh, I just looked it up. It's I can jump puddles. What an idiot! Ike can I jump. Can, I can, yeah, Ike. No, I can <laughs> jump puddles. So, um, yeah, but uh, get in contact. Maybe you people at home can suggest any Aussie books that I can cover. And if you want to give us a review, Ike. that would be fantastic, just to get the word out there as we are just starting out here. But um, until next time, do you guys have any final parting words for the audience? Um, Au revoir. And, Take care. And, you know, just occasionally support your children's work. You don't mm. even have to really like it, but at least don't humiliate them in front of all your friends. That's the real takeaway theme tonight. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank and, you for joining me. And also, Chekhov, if you introduce a lake in the first act, <laughs> drown someone in it in the fourth. <laughs> he does not listen to his own advice there. Yeah. <laughs> Andy now, thank you so much. And everyone else, we'll see you next time. And goodbye. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.